Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jeff Liker. He is actually returning. He was with us back in season one. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with Dr. Liker, which I hope you're not unfamiliar with him, uh, Dr. Liker served as a professor of industrial and operations engineering at the University of Michigan. He is the president of Liker Lean Advisors, LLC. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Toyota Way, second edition, and uh, has co-authored nine other books about Toyota, including The Toyota Way, Service to Excellence, and The Toyota Way to Lean Leadership. His graphic novel that tells the story of lean transformation at a mail order company, Zingerman's, we'll be talking about that later on in the show. Uh, and his articles and books have won 13 Shingo Prizes for Research Excellence. His newest book, which I have in my hands right here, uh, Giving Wings to Her Team. We're going to talk extensively about this today, so I'm excited to have you back on the show. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to talk about this different kind of venture because it's a novel. Yes, yes, I'm excited about it. Uh, it is a, a novel about learning to coach the Toyota Kata way. So we'll dive in uh, and, and talk about this. But I mean, what, Jeff, what led you to to write a novel with, with Tilo Schwartz? Where well, it was actually Tilo who Tilo, he had written a complete novel before I got involved at all. Uh, I submitted it to the publisher and uh, got a contract. Uh, but his background was that he had been a plant manager in one of the first companies in Germany that Mike Rother used for his research that developed Toyota Kata. So he was one of the people who was involved in testing the ideas and developing the ideas. And then he left that company and started consulting and he created something called the Toyota Kata Coaching Dojo. Dojo in Japanese is where normally you think of as the martial arts like karate and you go to the gym yeah. and the gym is a dojo. You're in the dojo learning how to fight in that case. And then Toyota uses that term for learning shop floor skills, like basic skills, like you have to learn how to weld if you're in the welding shop. Uh, so he thought, he asked himself the question, where do managers go to learn how to lead, to learn how to coach? And the answer is, was no place. They just, you just sort of struggle along and do it and mm -hmm. figure it out. Or you read books, but most of the books are very high level and they're really just a general advice that you may or may not be able to put into practice. So, uh, but where can you actually develop the skill, not just hear about it, not just think about it, but learn to do it. And he came up with the idea of the dojo as uh, creating a place where you could practice coaching skills. Mm -hmm. and. He continued beyond what Mike had developed for coaching and developed what he calls 20 micro skills and wrote a book, a self-published book that describes each coaching skill and what it is and the steps and how you practice it and has pictures and graphics. And he kind of realized that it's more like an encyclopedia mm -hmm. and very few people are going to sit down and read an encyclopedia. Uh, so he came up with the idea of writing a, first blogs about this woman, Denise. Denise was actually him when he was learning. And then he got the idea of writing the novel. And then he got to a certain point and realized he was German. English was not his first language. And he wrote a little bit more like an engineer 
than a novelist. Hmm. So through Mike Rother, he got me involved uh, because I'd been writing in a more conversational style. And sure. I loved what he did. And uh, anyway, we spent about a year rewriting it into a novel. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, when when Tilo was uh, presented you with this idea, you know, through Mike Rother, uh, and and you read it. Uh, so you said Denise is the the character. Now, is it an exact representation of his experience? No, no, no. it's roughly you know based on. Uh, they you know if you see a movie, it'll say uh, something like roughly based on. Sure. So it was like. But, uh, you know, he personally, I mean, what happened in a big picture sense is what happened with him. So, for example, he ended up making a huge transformation of that plant to something to a level that they had never performed at before. Right. That actually happened. He did it under a lot of pressure from senior management. They were considering closing the plant. Uh, and uh, he had to sometimes work against the pressure from management for short term results. So, basically, the the storyline was something he lived through. Gotcha. So that's that's good to know. Uh, and and obviously the it's a it's an easy read. It's it's going to make sense for many people. I mean, uh, and obviously having the two of yeah. you, I mean, two amazing, uh, you know, people that that understand uh, lean and the Toyota production system to be able to you know, invest your knowledge and skills into it. I mean, I, I can't imagine it's, it's gotta be an amazing novel. Uh, if it, I will take your word for it. <laughs> uh, it's gotta be amazing. So uh, the uh, sequence was Tilo, German, an engineer by training, he writes right. it. Then I, who have learned through the Twitter way and various books uh, to learn, write in a more conversational, accessible style, that's stage two. Stage three was that we hired a professional novelist. Ah. And she went through it with me in great detail. And one of her criteria was that if she handed it to her uh, sister or mother, they would be able to understand it, relate to it, enjoy mm. it. So if there are even basic stuff that people in manufacturing takes, take for granted, like setup time reduction, normally wouldn't, wouldn't think that you'd have to explain what that is. And she would write in the, her note would be, what is setup time reduction? Ah, nice. Nothing to her. Yeah. Having been in a factory. So we had to explain even at that level of detail when we, we, well, we had to use a, an example. Sure. For example, sure. you uh, set up your coffee machine to, to make coffee. Uh, so it's very, I think, accessible to uh, certainly the lean community, the Kata community, but if you handed it to a relative, they would understand it. Love it. Like it. That's great. What a great idea. So, and you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned Dojo uh, and you mentioned Kata and some other things. For those that are listening in that may be uh, hearing some of those words for the first time, you know, similar to, yeah, you know, the words that were, that were uh, defined in your book. Uh, could you help define for listeners that that maybe don't know what is kata coaching? What is kata and what is kata coaching? Well, I see behind your uh, left ear the Toyota Kata book by yes. Mike Rother. Uh, and Mike was one of my students, and he learned along with me the Toyota production system. He personally was much more uh, active on the shop floor, much more into practice than theory. Uh, but having practiced it for decades, he wrote 
learning to see about value stream mapping. So having practiced it, having taught, for example, value stream mapping, map your value stream, here's your future state, work toward the future state. He realized that when he was there guiding them to the future state, there would be a lot of activity, it would be good activity, and they would make huge progress and they were very happy. But when he left, everything started to slow down and eventually stop. So his question is, what can I leave behind beside a future state map and a converted value stream? And what he wanted to leave behind was a way of thinking so that they could do their own Kaizen, you know, the idea yeah. of learn, teaching the fish rather than fishing for you. So yeah. what would the, be the equivalent of fishing? What does he want to teach? And if you dig down into the Toyota production system, you'll find that the underlying uh, mindset that Toyota wanted to develop was scientific thinking. They called it scientific thinking. What they meant by that was not that you'd be a professor and you'd write peer-reviewed articles and conduct rigorous peer-reviewed research, but rather in your normal daily practice, when you looked at something, you would look beyond your first impression. So when you go to see, you would look deeper. And in fact, Taichi Ono, the father of the Toyota production system, would make you stand in a circle for a whole day just to right. learn how to see, just to learn how to observe, and to realize that your first impression is superficial. And then as you look, study more deeply, you start to see all the variation and all the various ways, and then you have to turn that into thinking about ideas for improvement. So. How do you get people to do that, to look objectively, deeply? He, as Ono would say, without preconceptions, empty your mind without preconceptions. And then to try things and to view what you try, not as a solution, but as an experiment to learn from. Mm -hmm. Then finally take the time to reflect. What happened? What did I learn? How will this inform my next experiment? So what Ono would basically teaching is don't try to quickly come up with a diagnosis of the problem, quickly come up with a solution, then spend all your time implementing a complex solution, but rather deeply understand the uh, current your objectives, the current state, then run many small experiments very quickly, very cheaply, and that's the the backbone of Kaizen. So how do you teach people? the thinking way that goes with Kaizen. And then Mike came up with this method. Uh, he said, first, what is the scientific method? Let's keep it simple. You need to know where you're going, what your goal is. You need to know where you are, your current condition. You need to set shorter term targets, goals along the way, because it's difficult to take one huge step. And you're tempted to take one huge step if you have right. a one year goal. And then for each of those small, like maybe one week goals, then I'm gonna encourage you to experiment. If you have an idea, don't beat it to death and try to analyze it and figure out if it's gonna work, just try it. And then do that through kata, which are, he, he gives you uh, sort of like a lesson plan or a drill mm -hmm. that you would have if you were say playing a sport or trying to learn music, you'd have drills to practice. So he gives you those drills. He has something called the Toyota Kata Practice Guide and you try out the drills but he also says it's helpful for most of us if when we're trying those drills we have a coach who's watching and can see if we're doing them right and give us corrective feedback and push us further uh 
so he has a role for the coach and a role for the learner. The learner is learning the improvement kata, he calls it, and the mm -hmm. coach is practicing the coaching kata. And Tilo took the coaching kata, which was basically a card with questions, mm -hmm. and he elaborated on it. What happens if I ask you what your goal is and you have a very general, uh, broad answer? And mm -hmm. I want to get you to focus in on something more concrete, measurable, specific. And the general goal is to guide you through asking questions like the Socratic method instead of guiding you by telling you stuff and maybe even give you the answer. Right. And what's what was your or what's been your experience, Jeff, with with Kata? I mean, you've you've obviously, you know, worked with Mike, uh, you know, on a uh, regular basis and and uh, have worked with companies and and have been able to witness and be part of developing kata within organizations uh, I mean what what's been your experience do you feel like people struggle with those five questions uh, and and uh, in in the similar ways that Tilo found yes and yeah. in fact I do a master class on lean leadership with high-level people who are directors mm -hmm. of continuous improvement globally and been doing this for decades and real smart people and they teach problem solving and when i give and we do an exercise uh and when i give them the question card and say ask these questions the learner has problems answering the questions like i ask for the target condition and they give me the challenge and right. i ask the current condition and they give me just the out the kpi number sure. but they're not giving me characteristics of the current state mm. or the condition part it's current condition so the current condition includes the the uh where you are on the target me metric and where the, what generally what's the condition that you're seeing sure and they have no trouble with the number but they have they struggle with the condition part and then i ask them uh what they're going to test and they go they go into great detail, but they describe like five different things. And we're trying to encourage them to test one idea at a time. Right. And then I we also ask them, what is your prediction? Uh, and we have we teach them that to to uh, state the, the idea you're going to test, then your prediction. And there's a place to write it on a storyboard. And half the time they have not written it on the storyboard. Yeah. And we have to just make it up on the fly. So the rigor even in this very simple version of scientific thinking seems to be difficult and challenging even for these really smart problem solving people then when the coach will automatically start telling them things you know so for example i ask you what the current condition is and you know you just give me the number and then i say uh what's your current condition it's right over here and they start reading what's on the post-it notes for right. the learner so they just naturally sort of jump in and take over. Uh, so there's all sorts of errors they make, but they make plenty of them. Yeah. Now, a lot of the the items that you mentioned, uh, experimentation record, the storyboard, a lot of those uh, tools are available for free out on, you know, Mike Rother has a website that, you know, anybody can Google that. You can go out there and find it and, and download any of these tools for free. Uh, I, I want to ask you the question uh, around those tools. Now, you alluded to this a little bit, but uh, when Mike Rother, you know, studied Toyota and he created this structure for Kata with the storyboard, 
with the experimentation records, which you're talking about. Now, are those things that uh, Toyota uses at Toyota and did use, or was that something yeah. that was created after yeah, the fact? He created. So if you, you know, so, so Mike's learned the most, I think, from various people who are TPS experts. Mm -hmm. they, nobody, nobody on Toyota will say I'm an expert at TPS, but there right. are certainly these very highly regarded people who've been doing it for a long time. Some of them were students of Teichiono. Some of them are students of students of Teichiono, so second generation. But they have a very deep knowledge. And they all pride themselves on being good teachers. And they all think that they have a better way of teaching than anybody else. <laughs> sure. Uh, and if you ask them how they teach, they kind of get confused. Or they say, you know, they, they sort of dismiss it. You know, they say, we ask them questions. We ask them, you know, let's go, let's go and see. Show me what you've learned. You know, they, they they kind of dismiss their teaching method, even though they have a fairly sophisticated method, but they've developed it mainly through practice. So uh, what Mike was trying to do is develop kata, who's trying to develop aids for people who didn't weren't learning from Teichiono yeah. or the rest of us and make explicit what for these people is really implicit. In fact, I've shown it to some of these people. I remember one situation where the son of uh, of Shingo, who worked for Toyota, he was, uh, we were explaining about kata to him, and he's saying, oh, kata, and he's doing karate, and he's sort of making fun <laughs> of it. And he did, really was not, didn't seem interested. And then uh, one of my colleagues showed him a kata storyboard. There was a group that was presenting out from a kata storyboard, and they presented out their project. He didn't know it was kata. Mm -hmm. And he said, ah, very good thinking way. Very good. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I think if they saw the result, they would like it. Right. But conceptually, it sounds a little bit gimmicky. And they tend yeah. to be really suspicious of like consulting versions of what they do. Hey, everyone. This is Patrick. So sorry to interrupt this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast, but I felt it necessary to take a quick moment and personally invite you to the Lean Solutions Summit on October 2nd to the 4th this fall, 2023. The theme of this year's global summit is leadership, people, purpose, passion. You do not want to miss this amazing experience with the top process improvement experts from your industry. No matter what industry you're working in, this summit has value for you. The summit offers four different industry tracks to include healthcare, corporate, higher education and nonprofit, and finally, government. Our opening keynote is Chris McChesney, the lead author of the number one Wall Street Journal best-selling business book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. The Op Sisters, Kathy Miller and Shannon Carrolls, the authors of Steel Toes and Stilettos will be joining us as well as yours truly and over 20 other speakers. The final day of the summit is full of workshops and there are limited seats for a tour of Menlo Innovations with Richard Sheridan and Zingerman's Mail Order with Dr. Jeff Liker, author of The Toyota Way. Early bird pricing is now available at Finelean Solutions forward slash summit dash 2023 or you can check the show notes for a link. Now, back to the show. Right. And, and that's where I think, you know, what we're talking about and, and you know, what Tilo was, and yourself were able to do in the book, uh, I think it, it, what people don't understand is they think that, oh, I, I'll just use a storyboard and I'll use 
the uh, you know experimentation record, and I'll and then I'll just kind of go through the motions, and that's you know being a good problem solver. And that's not necessarily the case. That wasn't even the uh, uh, what what was meant by when when uh, when Mike put all that out there. It was more it's a practice. Right. to to grow your your knowledge base right. to grow your ability to right. think scientifically but you got to start thinking on your own at some point and that's kind of what you guys are saying is like okay the five questions are great for practice but i mean what's really happening like talk to me like we're human here and stop reading off your board and really tell me what's what's the current condition well, what kind of we, challenges do there, you have there's right? a fine line between uh being flexible enough to go where the learner is, there that specific learner, that specific situation, uh, and still keep the pattern of the kata. So we still keep the pattern. So the pattern is, again, the challenge or big goal, current condition, the, the smaller target condition. We ask for obstacles, what's going to prevent you from reaching the target condition, mm -hmm. and then experimenting, using that experimenting record, as you say. So that pattern doesn't change right at a high level but what you say what you ask will change sure. but what uh mike introduced was that he introduced the word starter mm. so instead of just kata it's starter kata so his view is that the starter kata is to get you started then as you learn you start to uh elaborate and make the kata your own mm. uh, and to fit your environment. So for example, uh, reading the card, just reading the questions on the card, which asks things like, what is your target condition? What's your current condition? The, that's the first step in the starter kata. Right. Uh, and we still in the book recommend we do that. And it turns sure. out Denise skipped, did decide the questions were too easy and she'd read them and she, so she goes to her first coaching session forgets the card and says, I don't need it anyway. I remember the questions. And then she forgets right. to ask one of the questions. Oh. And the learner struggles and she doesn't know what to do. She has a mentor, Maggie, and Maggie happens to work at a local own a local gym where Denise works out. Mm. And Maggie has learned about Kata and is using it to improve her gym. And then Maggie said, let's go over what you did. And they realized that Denise had skipped this question and it was the critical question that led to all the problems she had. Oh, wow. So wow. then in the next coaching session, she brings the card. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, but then uh, she learns from Denise, you know, Denise, it turns out is going, is going to uh, Tilo's training courses, which she's learning from Tilo. So she would come okay. back excited about something she learned. So uh, she's teaching Denise what she's learning from Tilo. So mm. it, she, uh, teaches Denise, now that you've mastered reading the card, don't think of the card as questions to ask. Think of the card as a set of headings to just get started to understand how the learner is thinking. Mm. So it's kind of the opening gambit as I ask you, what is your target condition? Then I listen to what you say. Then I have to formulate, if, if you give me a perfectly good answer, we go on sure but it, more often than not you, you miss something for example the condition part and then i will then ask you a deeper deepening question question and there's guidelines on how to formulate the question so i'm not leading the witness so i'm not putting words in your mouth uh 
so that then leads eventually, you know, is over time and through trials and tribulations, it leads to uh, realizing that for me to know whether you should go, we should go on from question one, which is really phase one, mm-hmm. to phase two, which which is going from the target condition to the current condition, I have to know whether you gave me a good answer or not. Mm-hmm. So I have to have what we, we call in the book a reference for what is a good answer. And Denise, it turns out, is a skier. So Maggie uses a skiing example. If the ski instructor asks you to go down the hill and watches you, how does the ski instructor know whether you're doing it right or not? Mm. And that's because the ski instructor has standards in his head about the correct way to ski. And he knows whether you're using your body right to turn, for example. And if you're doing it wrong, he knows various ways you can do it wrong. So he will then give you corrective feedback based on that gap between the standard and the actual. So what is the standard for each phase? So then Denise has to figure out what the standards are for each. So she knows what is a good answer to the question, what is your target condition? What is a good answer to the question, what is your current condition? And then uh, Tilo has this guideline which says, this is real simple, go on green, stop on red. If you don't have a good answer to the current condition, it's red. Don't move to the next question until it's green. So there's a lot in the book about that. How do you know if it's a good answer or not? So as an example, one of the things Denise learns is that if for the current condition, you give me average tendencies, like over the last two weeks, on average, this happened, you're usually going to have trouble finding the root cause what you really need are actual data points and then find the outlier that was the defect, then study that for that defect, what actually happened. So you have to go much more deep into the actual condition rather than look at general. So, you know, that's an example of another struggle point is that Denise asks and the uh, learner described gives averages and then she goes on and then the learner's struggling and, uh, she doesn't know why, but it's because mm-hmm. they never really understood the current condition properly. So then right. she has to go back to the current condition after they're already experimenting. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's good. I love it. Uh, it, it definitely is is uh, seems like it would help uh, you know many people that have either are hearing about kata for the first time or uh, have even been using kata in their you know within their business or what even in their personal lives. Uh, to be able to go back and read through this and now understand, okay, now I know a little bit more about, you know, how to use the questions, you know, a little bit more effectively. Right. Uh, and and I think that for me, that's been my experience where a lot of people read through those questions and they get, you know, okay information, but to your point, they're, they're just not, uh, they're not going deep enough and, and really understanding what's really happening. You know, just asking the question is one thing, but you know, really listening and responding appropriately is is another point. At the end of the day, we're we're trying to move closer to our target condition, exactly. and, and so you know those are going to help us do that. That's great. Um, I did. I do have a question that you know has been asked, and and I don't know if it's addressed in in your newest book or not. Uh, but it would be around you know once your once your challenge has been established. 
and, and you're looking at determining your target condition or measurables for that, um, what would be your advice to someone who has been given a challenge and now they have to create measurables around that? What, what are the right measurables or how do I pick, you know, the, the measurables that are going to help know that I'm moving the needle in the right direction? Okay. So the outcome measures often is based on the company and what their goals are, what their strategy are and what the goals are. And sure. normally they have developed ways to measure their success. If it's cost reduction, they have measure, ways of, of measuring uh, cost in the factory, controllable cost or whatever they measure. So for the challenge, I would probably use, you know, if you can, I would use a measure that makes sense within your company and the company's used to and their scorecard for how they're being how they're measuring their success. Uh, then when we actually go further in the book and at some point the goal, the challenge is so big that we have to break it down. Mm. And we break it from, uh, actually, it turns out from a six-month challenge to uh, two three-month challenges and then one-month challenges within the three months. And there we use the same outcome measure as the six-month goal. Uh, but then there's also more some specific process metric. Now, when it gets into a process metric, what some would call a leading ind indicator, mm -hmm. that is now a theory that if I move the needle on this process metric, I will get this outcome. So that's a, essentially a hypothesis. Right. So you have to really think and study, and you might change your mind. You might change sure. the process indicator as you learn more. And then specifically, when you get down to short-term target conditions, those are even more specific parts of a process. So for example, in the book, they do setup time reduction. and uh the the outcome is really the outcome that they want is that they uh eliminate the backlog the order backlog you know they're late in shipping so they want to ship on time and they and one aspect of that one of the key drivers is setup time mm -hmm. so setup time is the then the process metric to drive reducing the backlog but then they break down setup into different steps and they work on a tar one target condition is to eliminate searching for things. Uh, and they uh, then are measure uh, whether you have to go search for this or whether it's immediately at hand when you right. shut down the machine. So that's a process metric that is very specific to that phase of setup reduction. Exactly. And once they address that for the next step, at some point they had to fix quality because uh, there are defects after setup that had to be resolved and they want to eliminate those defects. Now it's a totally different measure. So right. the process metrics and, and the short term for the start conditions could keep changing. Right. Yeah. Which makes complete sense. Uh, and obviously, you know, when, when you're walking through those and choosing uh, what you're going to work on, you, you know, you want to be in alignment with, you know, whatever is going to drive you closer to your target condition uh, well, and the theory. To your challenge. Yeah. So that's the, the the real deep thinking part when they talk about root right. cause. What is you're trying to ask? This is what I want to achieve. What is the cause of that? And there's certain situations we're in where it's cause and effect are pretty obvious, but in complicated environments like manufacturing or most service operations, 
it's not obvious what the cause is. That's why we think about the root cause. Uh, so whatever we think is the root cause is really a hypothesis. And until we try something to eliminate that cause, we won't know if it then it gives us the outcome we want. That's right. That's right. So if you get stuck into thinking that all our metrics should be standard metrics, you'll never get to the root cause. That's right. And I love I love the uh, you know the the thought process that goes behind this because uh, you know and and you know you've you've heard this before but you know Toyota will say it's not about the outcome necessarily it's about the journey and really what Kata is doing is it's teaching you a, a method that is going to get you you know to the outcome that you want but you're learning right. you know as you go and you won't always choose the right experiments or your, your, your hypothesis may not be, you, you may no. not, uh, you reach the hypothesis that you, you thought that's okay though. That's part of the process. It's part of the learning journey. Yeah. In fact, if, uh, if you did in, if every single experiment worked and achieved your goals and you did get it right each time and achieve the challenge, then Toyota's view is this isn't a good enough challenge. Right. So That's there's right. a, another concept that Mike introduces called the threshold of knowledge. And that's the point at which you're guessing and you don't know anymore. And if you stay within your threshold of knowledge in your comfort zone, you're not going to learn anything and you're not going to push out your uh, performance to another level. And mm -hmm. people are happy to stay generally within their comfort zone and within their threshold of knowledge. So you really want to get the learner beyond the threshold of knowledge. That's right. That's where they grow. The challenge zone, but you don't want to push them so far that they're in the panic zone and they uh, don't have a chance. You know, so you want to play in the challenge zone where they're learning and they're, and they're and one way of knowing that you're learning is that some of your experiments fail. Yes. And then, and then you have time to reflect and ask, what did you learn? And, and some of that comes with, uh, you know, culture because people have to be, it, you have to be okay. It has. You have to be in a culture where it's okay to say, "Hey, the experiment didn't work out like we expected." Right. That's still a win for the team as long as you learn something. Well, normally, in an environment where it's not okay, that's an environment of what we call assumed certainty. Mm. That is, we assume that we know everything, and we can predict the future, and we should be able to identify the root cause accurately, and then our solution should work and i don't know about you but i don't live in that world <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so there's you're not really going to learn very much you're not going to progress very far if you are only comfortable with wins and wins will mean you're staying within your threshold of knowledge right exactly or if sure. you're outside your threshold of knowledge you'll blame it on not we didn't know enough but rather it was somebody's fault Right. Yeah, for sure. So Jeff, uh, you know, in giving wings to our team, uh, so your newest book for someone that reads this, which, uh, you know, I'm crazy excited. Obviously I just received it directly from you. Thank you for the, uh, the signed copy here, but, um, I have it in my hands. I'm getting ready to read it. Uh, what do you expect from listeners? What, what are you looking for the, the outcome? Like what, what would you say would be, the ultimate, uh, you know, compliment to you as the author, you and, and Tilo, uh, to hear from readers of this book. Okay, so number one, 
they and we've had some readers who've given us good feedback and several people have said they loved it that they didn't want to put it down that they time passed and they didn't realize that they were still reading it and they missed their deadline mm -hmm. uh or their their uh meeting that they had scheduled so get people who are engaged really like a good novel don't want to put it down that's number one yeah number two is uh i learned a lot and it made me think about coaching engaging mm -hmm. people and cod if you know about kata or lean it made me think about it differently than i had and then they could explain why how's it how's their thinking different like for example uh we thought that you just read the questions off the question card right and then our tendency was to start to give information and tell and we didn't realize that there was an art to how you craft questions uh and then the third is somebody says i read this and it gave me an idea how to deal with this client and i tried it and it worked you know mm -hmm. so they actually put it into practice and they try it so that would be so first is just they liked it Yep. Uh, enjoyed it. Second is that it it's somehow profound in some way, and they learned some surprising things that made them think. And then third, they put into practice in some way. Love it. Okay, I'm going to take that to note as I'm reading through it, and I will definitely give you uh, give you some feedback for sure. Uh, and today, as we kind of wrap up, I don't want to miss this opportunity, Jeff, because you and I are together right now. We're going to be together again uh, in October, uh, very shortly here, October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and specifically for the Lean Solutions Summit uh, in Michigan, which we are part of the summit on the, the third day of the summit, October 4th. We're going to be taking a tour to Menlo Innovations with Rich Sheridan and also to Zingerman's Mail Order with you, which one of your books, your graphic novel, was written about Zingerman's. And you're going to be on site at Zingerman's when we do this tour uh, for the Lean Solutions Summit. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the th those that are on the tour can expect when they arrive at Zingerman's and the time that they're going to spend with you there? Well, this is a mail order company and they mail pretty gourmet food all over the United States and they have a call center and they have they have to process the orders and put things in boxes and ship the boxes and put the right stuff in the boxes and uh, it turns out to be a more complicated process than it seems and they've been working with Eduardo Lander who's one of my PhD student former PhD students who also is a first author working for about 15 years they've been under his guidance and learning lean and basically anything that you know about lean any tool concept standard work visual management error proofing you can go down the list uh everything is there and working and operating at a fairly high level yes. uh, and they keep every year they get better we call the book that you're referring to lean in a high variability business because they don't know when they come in the morning what's going to be ordered they mm. can't calculate a tact well they do calculate a tact but not in the conventional way so they had to figure out solutions like how do we figure out the customer demand rate when it's changing all the time. And they've done that. Uh, so you'll see how they had to come up with creative ways of applying the principles of Lean and Chitta Way to a very highly variable environment. Uh, and then they, I started teaching a master's course at Michigan using Kata. And we did projects and still do projects in their, in their uh, facility. 
So they have been using Kata for about the last five years, and they've been able to engage their front line with Kata because the idea of experimenting kind of makes sense to people. You know, I try something, I reflect, I learn, that makes sense. So uh, they, you'll see examples of Kata. Uh, we did this book, Lean in a High Variability Business, which tells the story of their transformation. The last part of the book is about Kata, part three. We have a new book coming out, which is just part three. It's called Engaging the Team at Zingerman's Mail Order. And hopefully that'll be available by then, but it's a shorter book. Yeah. Uh, both these books are graphic novels, comic books. So it's it's pictorial and it, it like the giving wings to a team, it tells the story in storytelling fashion. Mm. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to see the book and then see the reality behind the uh, cartoonish book. Yes, I'm hoping that uh, if the book is available, we will be able to get a copy of that in each of the uh, participants' hands or the, the tour participants' hands. Uh, but either way, it's going to be an amazing tour uh, that everyone uh, can partake in and, and be part of and meet you, uh, Jeff, while they're, while you're there. And, and I'll be speaking to each of the tour groups. There's two tour groups, so I'll be yeah. talking about Kata and about the what our experience at Mail Order. I've been working with them through my student for the last 15 years, and it's one of the uh, kind of results that I'm proud of that I was part of this transformation that really took a business that was growing fast, but they're struggling to make a lot of money. And through Lean, they become became very profitable and they're able to meet demand every year. Mm. I've been there a few times and it's amazing. Uh, definitely uh, one of those bucket list items for, for anyone in the Lean world uh, to go check out. It's pretty amazing. So the Lean Solutions Summit, October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Uh, we will drop a link in the show notes for your book, Jeff, your newest book, uh, Giving Wings to Her Team, uh, as well as your uh, LinkedIn profile if anybody wants to reach out to Jeff. And then also a link to the Lean Solutions Summit. We'd love for all of you to join us there October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. It's going to be an amazing event with a great tour, including uh, Jeff Liker, as part of that tour. So Jeff, once again, as always, I love talking with you. Uh, it's been great over the years to get to know you and just, uh, you know, just really gleaning as much information as I possibly can from you. And I just appreciate your willingness to share and, and help develop the, the lean community. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for your, what you're doing to give people like me voice and share with lean community. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.